It's the final whistle on your home for Sporting Kansas City. We interrupt this program for an important news announcement. Hello and welcome once again to a special edition of the Final Whistle postgame show here on many outlets, SportingKC.com, the Sports Radio 810 Facebook page, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Sporting KC Classic Edition, technically Kansas City Wizards Classic. I'm Dave Borchard alongside Chad Reynolds and Allie Trost. And my friends, the winning streak has continued here on these Thursday night classics for the Wiz. It was a uh, overtime golden goal win in the 2000 Western Conference Finals over the LA Galaxy. And uh, I guess my initial thoughts are obviously not as high scoring as last week, right? We had the second highest scoring game in MLS history, but this was a hard fought, physical, intense soccer game. And it wasn't boring at all for a 1 0 sort of game. These two teams no. did not like each other. You could tell. I mean, that was that, that's my biggest takeaway watching the game again. They didn't like each other. You said hard fought. I was like, oh, no, they, they hard fought. Well, let me give you guys a little peek behind the curtain to all of that, because earlier this week on the Sporting KC show, we had a chance to interview Peter Vermees, the manager of Sporting KC, who was on this team, as we know, that 2000 future MLS Cup winning team. But for the sake of what the game we just watched, they hadn't yet eclipsed that victory. But Vermees told us he was reflecting on that series. And he told us on the show um, that ahead of that game, as we know, they played at Arrowhead. The LA, LA team was walking either to their locker room or passing by the KC Wiz locker room. And Kobe Jones screamed something to the effect of, we're going to kick your ass. And Peter said, and we know Peter, Peter's a pretty, uh, you know, he's a pretty passionate, intense guy. And he said that that fired them up even more than they already were for this game. So knowing that bit of information just really sets the tone for the game that we just saw, which was like you guys said, incredibly chippy, incredibly physical. Uh, and you're right. The teams did not like each other at all. Well, it's Just funny like, you mentioned that. I, I hadn't. I, I, I heard that story on on uh, Tuesday night on the on the broadcast, and I'd never I'd never heard that story before. Uh, and then I went and looked at like what happened that season, and and these were the two best defensive teams in the in the league. Um, and you still you look at LA, and they've got firepower across the board. The Wizards had firepower across the board, but then you talk about like the attitude side of it. It was like, oh, the last thing I would want to do is fire up a team that's got. Peter Vermees, Tony Miola, Mo Johnston, Preki, Miklos Molnar, every single one of those dudes is a hard ass. Every single one of them. And and you just fired him up before the most important game of the season. Probably not a probably not a good move, Kobe Jones. No. And, you know, you also look at just the situation that the Wizards were in going into that game. The playoff format, can we talk about that? Oh, I yeah, mean, MLS has seen some wild stuff, but Dave. Lay it out for us. What were the playoffs like? Well, I was going to ask. Time? Actually, I know Chad. Wait, do you have a chalkboard to do math here? We're going to need a chalkboard. Seriously, in math. Yeah. we might need one. <laughs> well, so I know it was first team to get to five points, yes. right? With the win being three points, yes. the tie being one. But was there a maximum of three games, Chad? Or like, if it was tie, 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 would they keep going for five games? Or how did that work? No, it was it was a max of three games, and that's why you have the the golden goal mini game that they played at the end of this. No matter what, if it was tied after three games on points, you get the you get the distinct impression somebody was like, yeah, they'll play three games and somebody will get to five points. And then after the fact, That's somebody was like, like, oh, yeah. crap, what if like each team wins a game and then there's a draw? That's not five points. What if there's three draw? You know, I mean, it, it, that's it's almost like the golden goal minigame was an afterthought. And uh, and and yes, Allie, I, I had t- kind of forgotten about that. And actually, Peter, it sounded like on the interview on Tuesday, forgot about it. He talks about like the other game in the series, like there were only two games in the series. And it's it's such a weird choice. And can you imagine trying to explain that to a casual fan? Like, No, and I love what you say about the mini game being an afterthought. And here's how you know that it's an afterthought. It was called the mini game. Like, <laughs> they didn't even come up with no. a good name for like this weird 
tiebreaker of sorts really like determined the fate, which I mean, now we call that what overtime, extra time, like all those other names that you call it. But the fact that they called it the mini game is like my favorite part of. Well, they the call it, they call thing. it, the broadcasters call it like six different things during the course of this yeah. game. No, I they mean, couldn't decide either. Yeah. <laughs> so how many years was this the playoff format? Was it like a one and done or was this a oh, few years man. around the turn of the century? Or do you remember? Cause it, I, I got into MLS really starting around 2005. And so when I was, that was the first thing that jumped out to me. I said, what the heck is this playoff format? It's crazy. If I remember from what I read, it was 90. It was like at the inception. So like the early night or late nineties rather, and then early 2000s. So the end date, I'm not sure on, but it, it was for more than one season. At one point it was all out best of three, like win two out of three because they, that was shootout. There were shootouts. And then they got rid of the shootout, and that's what screwed everything up. Um, and they, like, I, speaking of things that felt like afterthoughts, it's almost like they got to the point that they realized, oh, we don't have a shootout now. We have to decide, like, what are we going to do with draws in the playoffs? But they'd already announced that shootouts were gone, and they hadn't thought about how to fix the playoffs. Um, to, I, I think, I think 2000 was the first year of that of this playoff format and then it was around for a couple more years but there were definitely I'm trying to look it up right now there were definitely other best of 3 series and I just can't in my so this was this format was also around in at least 01 and maybe 02 so if you could if you could bring back one thing from the early years of MLS I know fans kind of clamor for the the shootouts and let's not have the game end in ties at least some some fans want that would you rather bring back the shootouts or would you rather bring back this weird playoff format? What do you like better? Uh, can I can I not bring back? Either? You have to pick one, Chad. <laughs> Come on. If if I have to pick one of those two, um, I I just the shootout. I I it's it was it was fun and it was exciting and it was quirky. I just like sitting here as a guy who who whose day job is to market a soccer team and explain what's going on with the soccer league. I can't possibly imagine trying to explain to somebody who comes to one game a year how the hell that playoff format worked. <laughs> yeah, shootouts would be easy to explain. It's just then do you do a traditional shootout, a penalty kicks, or do you do that, yeah. you know, the run-up thing? Yeah. I mean, honestly, can I answer, I would bring back all of the weird sound effects and music during the run of play. I don't know if you guys caught that. during. That was even oh, more yeah. pronounced during this broadcast than I think the one we watched last week. Um, it was just like, Sound effects everywhere, oh, all the time. I, I was, I, I'd forgotten it was that prevalent. Yeah, no, that was definitely, and in this game too. Another thing I forgot and is obvious with the team having played at Arrowhead, but then when they flashed uh, to Chicago playing at MetLife Stadium or at Soldier Field, rather. Sorry, I was reading something earlier on MetLife, but the fact that they were playing. And the football fields had their paint down oh and gosh. all the fields were lined. Like, just talk about it. Again, like, I think you could define the early MLS years as, like, this kind of mismatch of, like, after – it was a combination of, like, afterthought slash, like, trying to innovate as you go, overcome random obstacles, and it turned into a kind of fun, quirky mismatch of things, both visually and then in practice with how – um, things just played out. Well, the game Hits. presentation reminded me of what we see in NBA games. Like you said, right. Chad, there was music during the run of play. Yeah. Um, and then the sound effect I noticed that was great is at one point a Galaxy guy took a bad touch over the sideline and they played the sad trombone sound effect from the, uh, over from the, the PA system, which was uh, great. Danny Califf <laughs> takes a shot in the middle of the second half, I want to say it is. And he just, I mean, it's, it's from, it's from the spot. I mean, it's not that far out and he just tries to, to turn on it and hit it and he hits it into row QQ at Arrowhead. Mm-hmm. And like they did a perfect job of waiting just a half a beat and then playing a broken glass sound effect. <laughs> it was like, okay, that was pretty good. No. And, and like, no, of course, like we shouldn't bring those things back, but like, wouldn't it be cool if they let us do it one game a year, like one game a year. Cause it, it's so 90s and it's so you know like that's not real soccer but every team gets one game a year your retro night you get to do dumb stuff like that and and just have a little bit of fun with it because it doesn't affect anything on the field and and worse what's the what's the worst thing that happens people have fun so yeah I'm like totally for that I think 
you know, a lot of these broadcasts for every sport, I'm talking like just about every sport that you can imagine. Sometimes it's like, it doesn't need to be so stuffy. Throw a broken glass sound yeah. effect in there. We're just watching soccer. Who cares? You know, like I'm all I'm all for that. Like I loved loved the XFL. Not necessarily because like the cali- you know, like the level of talent or the caliber of play was what you typically watch in a pro level sport, but because of how entertaining they made the broadcast and they really helped you as a fan find a unique way to enjoy it. I don't play football. I love football. But I'm not, you know, I, I want to hear the play calls. I want to hear different things. Like, I like the mic'd up elements and, you know, just little things like that I think can be a lot of fun. Well, and think about the innovation that comes from it. You know, I mean, like, look, everybody's going to go to some form of player interviews during the during play. Baseball uh, experimented with it during the preseason, and it was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the XFL interviewing guys as they come off the field, good or bad, was incredible showing the replay the replay booth and and hearing that the way that they do in Aussie rules football that's going to come to the rest of the world in soccer and it's going to be incredible i, I the, the funniest thing about the game presentation and the broadcast presentation for me was you know soccer broadcasting largely hasn't changed in 30 years i mean the the broadcasts themselves are are pretty much the same and they're all based off of this model of German or English style sports broadcasting, which is very matter of fact, it's very presentational and, you know, like it's, we do this and then we do this and then we do this and we talk about it this way. And there's, and you could make a case that at the very least MLS was trying to innovate and trying to do, do things to get people excited. Now, granted that was in the stadium versus on the broadcast, but I, you know, I, I think they, it, it did give a weird feel to the game that was at least looking back at it, kind of fun and exciting. It definitely dates it also, and I'm certainly not advocating for that on a regular basis, but I am advocating for innovation on sports broadcasts in general, and especially soccer broadcasts, which have been the same since, you know, the German League games that I watched in 1987 or 88 on ESPN every Saturday morning, you know? I thought the worst part about the broadcast was... Uh, you know, Mo Johnston gets kicked in the face and is gushing blood, and like you couldn't even see it no. on the broadcast. Like I had to rewind it and pause it, and then I had to do a Google image search to show my kid how bad it really was. But imagine if that moment happened in modern time. The moment, now you by the have way. The... Have you heard? That, oh yeah, Dave? they call. It, I mean, the longtime Wizards fan that this game, yeah. that 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 play at the end of the match. People call the moment. It means something mm-hmm. to like longtime Wizards fans. And I had no idea it wasn't on the broadcast. Well, yeah. and this kind of goes back and it goes back to, to, you know, just how broadcasting has evolved. But like the fact that you didn't have sideline b- reporters really yeah. working soccer games, if at all at that time, those are the people at field level who you rely on to go get that story, to get mm-hmm. the extra information, you know, having field level cameras uh, that are focused on, you know, getting like close up shots of players during all, you know, things like that, that happened. But I didn't know that they called it the moment either. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, crazy. It, it's, it's legendary amongst like wizards, longtime wizards fans. And what's, what's kind of a bummer. There's a couple of shots where you can maybe see it a little bit with him running around at the end of this, this one, there is yeah. incredible footage. I've seen it of the locker room celebration after this game where the wizards go and, and it's, it's not on this um, probably because of, you know, all sorts of FCC violations. It's like a, it's like a George Carlin party in there. Like you can't, every word that's being said can't be repeated on television or probably, um, you know, PG 13 internet for sure. But, um, but it's incredible. And Mo is running around bloody the whole time. And then he's got bandages on his face the whole time. And it is, it's this, it's this thing, Ellie, they don't, I mean, again, they don't talk about it. Mo Johnson had 13 stitches from sticking his face in front of Danny Califf's boot there to win that ball that then Miklos rounds Hartman and scores. And he played in MLS Cup with 13 stitches a week later, like, or two weeks later or whatever. I mean, yeah. he was, again, huge hard ass. Just would do anything to win a game. And, and you know, there, the, there's, a, there's a picture, there's a giant eight-foot-tall picture hanging in the Budweiser Brewhouse at Children's Mercy Park of Mo's bloody face. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's something that we've, we've literally at the club, we've had people complain about just be like, I can't <laughs> believe you hung that there. And it's also kind of like, 
you know, go read about the history of that. Like on the backside, it explains what's going on. And, and the moment people understand it, it's just like, okay, that's pretty cool. That's, that's just like, you know, any NFL player, or the, the same kind of thing where it's just like, I, it's, it's Jordan's flu game. It's, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. coming through the adversity to just make the sacrifice for your team. And it's, uh, well, that's what I thought was going to be on the broadcast. That's why I was sitting there like, okay, where is it? Where is it? Like you can pause for half a second and see a little bit, but yeah, it was funny. Yeah. He's... Again, as, as someone who, I, I mean, I knew of like all that, I didn't catch it at all in that moment. And in fact, when that whole play broke down, the first thing I thought about was not the fact that that injury had happened, but it was more of Luis Hernandez losing the ball and right. trying to get too fancy, doing too much. Uh, one of their best players becomes their greatest downfall in that moment because that's exactly what turned the tides for the Wizards. Um, but you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have been without Mo Johnson's effort either. So you can also make a big case. I mean, what a, uh, what a, what an awful, just unfortunate match this was for Danny Califf. Gives up the penalty kick. Yep. Gives up the gives up or doesn't win the ball at the end of that game for you know that Mo sticks his Mo sticks his face in there, and all they do on this broadcast at the beginning of it is talk about Danny Califf coming back from the Olympics, and then here here's what happens: Danny Califf just just absolutely gives this game away in 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 both the real game and the mini game, and uh, yeah, it's incredible. Allie, I'm, you're not going to be able to see it. I might just text it to you. I'm going to try and show, throw <laughs> up on the screen here, the picture of Moe's bloody face. And Don't throw up on the screen. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, people yeah. might throw up on the screen if uh, if they see this, but yeah, it's, um, give me give me two seconds, Allie, and I will text it to you. It, it is, it is, uh, it is, it's a pretty gnarly uh, thing that happens and um yeah no i'm, wor- I'm working i'm ready on- I'm-, I'm ready hey as someone who has stitches like in three different places on their face i'm for it this this won't bother me blood usually kind of a uh, little squirmish but stitches I'm- to the face i'm no stranger i'm the same way my my you guys know this my wife my wife's a nurse and she she sees all the worst stuff all day every day and 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 she comes home with you know like stories or all of her medical friends tell stories and i'm just like i don't want blood i could look at this picture of mo johnson all day it's just, I mean, he's such a, it's such an iconic thing to me. And, um, and yeah, I mean, as a, as a, as a longtime Wizards fan, as a person who was at this game, I, I will never, ever, ever forget the moment, that moment. It is, um, to me, one of the coolest moments in the history of, of American soccer, granted I'm biased, but certainly the history of this club. And what a cool season too. You know, another thing Peter kind of joked about on the sporting show this week was just that in all of these re-airings and rebroadcasts of sporting or Wizards games, uh, the club's undefeated. And that season in particular, <laughs> that 2000 season, the Wizards set the record for the longest clean sheet streak in club history that has yet to be broken. That number is at six. I think, uh, unfortunately, the team this season was off to a pretty good start. Yeah. They were, uh, you know, showing their winning ways. They could have easily after that game two uh, sparked that same kind of streak, but unfortunately we won't know that yet. Uh, I just got your test. Yeah. You yeah. It's coming. Um, well, I'm oh, gonna yeah. look at this too. No, this like that is a badass photo. Right. Right. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it right now. Trying to throw it up on the screen for anybody watching at home. Uh, oh, I think we're going to, it was it. like the only one on Google images too. If you look up Mo Johnston, bloody face, it it's is, like the one it is. Yeah. It's, it's it, there's this a is, different one in the brew house, right? There's it's one of him. More- he's got a white t-shirt on and the, the, for the one in the brew house, he's wearing a white t-shirt in post-match and it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, there it is. We, I, I've thrown it up on the screen for anybody watching at home. And it, it, this is him hugging Matt McEwen at the end of the match, Bo Shani over the shoulder. Um, just, I mean, bleeding profusely from the face. Nobody seems to notice or care. Everybody's just celebrating. Smiling so big. Yeah. yeah he's it's, happy. He's fine. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's such a Mo Johnston moment in so many different ways. And then, then Dave, to your point, the one in the brew house is him and it's him in a white t-shirt. He's taking his Jersey off because he doesn't want to get blood on it or something. I don't know. And then he's running around celebrating blood all over the white t-shirt too. And it's, um, again, not a blood guy. I get squeamish on this kind of stuff. This photo, this moment means so much to me as a longtime Wizards fan, and um, and and it says so much about Mo Johnston, the player, and and how even at this stage in his career, which uh, you know he was thirty six or something like that, late in his career, 
He'd played in World Cups. He'd scored in World Cups. He'd played for Celtic. He'd played for Rangers. He was he was loved and loathed all over Scotland. And, and I mean, he's a world-famous soccer player at this point in his career for a variety of reasons. Um, and then he, you know, celebrating like this, bloodying his face. He's, he's an absolute legend, so... So, like last week, there was a lot of kind of familiar faces from the past in this game. Kevin Hartman as the goalkeeper for L.A. before he came to Kansas City for a few years. We had Sasha Victorine with L.A. Your, your friend and mine, your former broadcast partner, Dave. That's right. Dave and That's I, right. Allie, Dave uh, and I worked, oh, God, what, probably, what, 100 broadcasts with, with Sasha together? That I mean, sounds about right. Traveling yeah. all over the country. Um, yeah, it was a uh, former, former wizard. Um, now good friend of ours. I loathed him at this point. <laughs> I, oh my God. I can't even begin to tell you how much 16 year old Chad hated Sasha Victorine. Just, I despise this galaxy team in general. Luis Hernandez. I couldn't stand, but for whatever reason, Sasha, I've told Sasha that story and he was like, <laughs> yeah, the feeling was mutual for everybody on that, on that team. The one name that jumped out to me wasn't anyone on the field playing, but I mean, the great Siggy Schmid. Oh just, my God. May he rest in peace. Like what a total legend in the soccer community. And I think it's almost, it's a weird feeling looking back and watching uh, to me, like those moments of people who completely had a, you know, huge hand in changing the game of soccer in the United States at both the college and the, you know, pro level. So for my money, the second sure. best, yeah, God. Second best best coach in the history of this league, I think. I mean, it's 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 Bruce Arena and Siggy, and I don't I don't know that I could pick, yeah. I could choose between them. I mean, I I'll never forget. You told me Anolfo one, Ziggy two. <laughs> you know if you know how much Arena I love three. what Kurt Anolfo did here as the Wizards manager. No, um, yeah, no, Ziggy, Ziggy, and there there's a moment in the in the you catch a little bit of the broadcast there when they're coming back. I think we're hearing talk back actually in the in the post game or between regular game yes. and, and mini game, and you hear Ziggy just being like. Danny, I need you to mark Molnar so Robin can be free. I mean, and, and it's such clear as a guy who coached, I uh, coached six years of high school soccer. I don't think I ever gave a, I don't think I ever was able to give clear, concise directions like that once. It's just not like, and Ziggy's, and, and clearly so much of it is built on the things that they knew ahead of time, but Ziggy was such a good coach. And, and, and you can see everybody on his team understanding exactly what they want from him. Uh, from them at that moment and, and, and the whys of all of it. And it was, yeah, it was, uh, it's really cool. And yeah, to see Ziggy coach again was so cool because you're right. I had, I'd kind of, you know, forgotten about that. And then, yeah, it, it, it's, it breaks the heart because he was such an incredible coach and such an important part of, of major league soccer history. And, and like just seeing a lot of those people at, you know, the start or kind of early in their career and then being able to watch that and look at it through the lens of what you know now. Right. Uh, I just think is always interesting. Like even watching Peter Vermees, like mm-hmm. watching him make plays or make a cross or do things. It's like, would Peter Vermees on the sideline have approved of that? Would Peter like <laughs> tactically, like I, I love like, and we hear Peter talk about this a lot in current day. And that's that, you know, we're entering this new phase of MLS, the MLS 3.0. And he considers the time he played in the league as MLS 1.0 has talked at length about the changes that have happened, you know, between then and now. And it's just really interesting, his deep, deep insight and just understanding of the game, but not just the game, but the game at, you know, the major league soccer level and how it's changed because he gets it. He lived it firsthand. So just watching him play, I, I was watching it and just thinking of him on the sideline going back and forth. Uh, giving direction or, you know, being Peter Vermees. So that was really cool too. This may be your only chance of all time to uh, nitpick Peter Vermees' play on the field. So what do you guys, what's, (laughs) what's your scouting report? What's your grade on PV for this match? You know, what do you think? Well, to answer, to answer your question about, or or, or Ali's point about him being on the sideline and would he approve the the, the funniest thing, I I can't get over the, the Peter making the run down the left wing as if he's a left winger in I think that was in extra time. I think that's in the golden goal mini game. And it's like, you're the center back in a three man back line. You are the absolute anchor of everything. And, and, and here you go making the run. And part of that is, you know, they knew they had to press. They knew they had to go score that goal, but it's so funny to watch that. And you're just like, what would Peter today have said, Allie? That's a great question. And, um, and hey, we know Vermees loves the high press. Yeah, that's no. the sporting Kansas City way. He would have yelled, he he would have yelled at whoever's the left back to get further up the field. Cause that's what he always does. But no, I, 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 he, Dave, he's, 
that team that I I'm a I'm a Bob Gansler guy. I've I think Bob Gansler is is also on that short list of of greatest coaches to ever coach in Major League Soccer. He only coached in the league for what four or five years. Um, he's but he's and he's more famous for taking the 1990 team to the World Cup, the group of youngsters, etc. Bob Gansler had that team so drilled into their roles that the reason Peter Vermees can go up to the left late in the game is because every single one of those players knows that if he does that, they're going to rotate so that either carries a Vagnan or Matt McEwen is going to drop into the hole and now be the center back. And it was such a, like the way Peter and Tony Mueller directed traffic in the back. And I, and I, I was lucky enough to sit in the press box and watch this team in, in as a 16 year old and, and, watching them break down the field of soccer and, and triangles. And like this was, this team played in a three, five, two and everything they did was in triangles and the passing lanes were so defined. And it was okay. Nick Garcia and Brandon Perdoe are marking backs. Peter Vermees is essentially a sweeper as a center back. Kleine and Hindi are just going to run all day long up and down the wing and, and, and put 12 or 13 miles on their legs and never stop. And then all you're going to do is find a way to feed the ball to Precky Miklos and Mo, and it was, I mean, it was, it was so fun to watch and, and, um, and Peter and Tony directing traffic in the back start absolutely everything. And there's a reason that team is still arguably the greatest defensive team in the history of the league. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's interesting that you bring up that point with like the leadership that Miola and Vermees had and that type of leadership that you need, especially when you play a three, five, two, I played the three, five, two, a couple of times in high school, like on different teams. Uh, in my high school, we switched up. I swear to God formations, like between the time I was a freshman and a senior, I think we played like eight different formations just with different players coming in. You maximize strengths, Mm -hmm. but three, five, two is unique in that when you only have three backs, you really do have to have someone who's commanding that entire back line. And there has to be even in greater understanding when you play a four flat. So I think that's a good point. And I, I mean, Tony Mueller had some shining moments in that game. I wrote a couple down just uh, right after uh, Miklos scored that first goal in right in, you know, regular, uh, I guess, you know, regulation. And then literally LA turned around and had that free kick that was then redirected with the header and Miola just like completely shut that down. Like that it looks like he's diving like backwards. It looks I know like he catches that, that ball crazy. backwards. Yeah. I mean, that can, to me, that was maybe one of the most defining moments of the game because they tie that up and then they bunker and they're able to keep the Wizards out. Like, it's over, you know, that yeah. they only needed a tie to advance because they went into that game up 4-1 in five-point, like, <laughs> goal system, whatever, like, five-point system that they were operating in. Well, and then, you know, the, the the directing of traffic. There's a moment in the game, and it and it's an innocuous moment. Like nothing comes of it, and that's part of the the the, the beauty of it. Uh, there's a moment in the game where Luis Hernandez, who I think was called offside 43 times during this match. Um, <laughs> I've never seen more offside Sorry. calls in my life than than in this game. But uh, Hernandez that and fouls too. Oh god, it was chippy <laughs> as hell. Um, but but Hernandez gets the ball, and he's coming towards the. He's trying to drill towards the center of the, the the center of the box, almost kind of just you know twenty five yards out or whatever. And Nicky Garcia's caught a little further upfield, and Nick Garcia was man marking uh, Hernandez because Hernandez, Hernandez like to yeah. to start on the left side and drift in, and Nick is caught a little upfield, and Vermi steps over to to cut off the lane that that uh, Hernandez is going for. And the moment Nick recovers, Nick takes over on the ball one-on-one defending and Peter drops into the center of the park. And it's like, oh, they've done this. I mean, it's so clearly defined their roles and their positioning. And you just don't, you don't see that outside of the 3-5-2 almost in general. You almost never make that handoff. But in this 3-5-2 and especially that form of the system, they had to do it. It was, and they did it, they did it a couple of different times. That was the one that sticks in my mind, but it's like they knew and and Nick knew I'm going to recover I'm going to get back in front of him and Peter's going to leave. And Nick was a Nick was a, a rookie at the time. Brandon Perdoe was like a second-year player. And for Peter can, and Tony to direct that kind of traffic that often, it's incredible. And can we talk about how well of a job Nick Garcia did in man-marking Luis Hernandez? I, I don't know if the play that you're talking about is the same one that I'm thinking of. I think it is, but it might not be. The huge tackle he had oh, no, that uh, one's incredible when too. Hernandez was breaking towards goal and like – especially in a game that chippy, I'm not saying that the, you know, the calls the referee is making are always influenced by the 
the way that the game has at that point kind of played out, which as we know, was a very physical chippy game. Um, But the fact he was able to make that tackle and shut down that play without, you know, drawing a foul right outside of the wizard's box to me, that was like one of the, you know, again, a a huge defensive moment and another great moment from Nick Garcia and marking Luis Hernandez. Cause that was, I mean, he had all the momentum going forward. He was so quick. So, you know, best, like we talk about Precky's foot skills. I mean, Luis (laughs) Hernandez was another guy. Yeah. He could take you in, around in circles just, you know, with his footwork. So that was another play where I was, whoa. What a, well, Garcia, what a There was a tackle. lot of pulling and pushing too, right? Like, yeah. Oh, my God. Tackle at the end grade, but it was super physical. If he would have flopped, maybe it's a penalty kick. You know, there was a lot of contact there. That, and that's, yeah. that's my thing. There's already been a penalty kick called in this match. Like, like to not – yeah, that was that's that's a ballsy, ballsy tackle to do that right there, and he 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 wins the ball. It's as clean as it gets. Nick was um, mm-hmm. so Nick finished I think second, like one vote behind Carlos Bocanegra for MLS Rookie of the Year that year, um, and I mean again biased, but I, I Bocanegra was really really good. Bocanegra wasn't as integral to what the fire did as Nick was to what the Wizards did. The fire, that mm-hmm. fire team gave up a bunch of goals. They also scored a bunch of goals, and that's why they were favored going into the MLS Cup a couple of weeks later, or a week later, or whatever. But, like, the okay, I just looked it up. The Wizards gave up 29 goals that in 32 matches that year. The fire gave up wow. 51 in 32. And I mentioned earlier the Galaxy were the second-best team in the league in terms of goals, uh, goals against. And they gave up 37. So the Wizards gave up eight fewer goals than any other team in the league. And that's why they won. That's why they won the supporter shield because they won. They, they won the supporter shield on goal differential and a tiebreaker with the fire. And it's like Carlos Bocanegra is really, really good. He's an American soccer legend. Nick Garcia had a better rookie year as a defender than Carlos Bocanegra did, but Bocanegra was a bigger name, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, so and he also had a championship to, uh, you know, to show for it yeah. so yeah. worked out all right so, for nick 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 got to lift the trophy so how do you rate this defense like you said chad it's one of the the tops in team history mls history how do you rate it versus some of sporting's top defenses from the last decade you know there's been some great defenses during the beesler icopara years aurelian collin jimmy nielsen and through on now with tim melia i mean is this leaps and bounds beyond what we've seen here over the last decade? Or do you think there's some of the teams in the last five or 10 years that might be comparable? I, for me, this team is the, is still the best defensive team in MLS. Um, They, they were, yeah, they were so, so stout. And Tony Miola was, I mean, deservedly the MLS MVP deservedly be the MLS MLS Cup MVP. He has an absolute blinder to win this team the cup in in you know a week later. Peter Vermees wins defensive player of the year. I mean like or defender of the year. I don't know that any team has ever done that since then. Had a had a goalkeeper of the year and a defender of the year, let alone a goalkeeper of the year, a goalkeeper as an MVP and one defender of the year. Um the 2017 Sporting defense was really 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 good. Uh, and the 20, not, I don't think it was 12. I think, or I think, I think it was 12, not 13. I think the open cup team, the Jimmy Nielsen led open cup team. That was, that was Seth on the left, uh, bees and Aurelian Colin in the middle and, and, um, and chance Myers on the right, that 2012 and 2013 teams were really good defensively as well. But I would, God, I don't know in the modern game, if I would take this defense over, over like the, the, the guys now, but. I'm just telling you that back five of of Peter, Nick, and, and Brandon Perdoe as, as the, the marking backs, and then Matt McEwen and Kerry Zavagnan. And, and McEwen would just crush dudes. I mean, he's an absolute just beast in the midfield who was so much more adept once he got on the ball than you would ever expect looking at his size and, 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 and kind of strength. And Kerry cut out passing lanes like, especially that year in 2000, he was so good at cutting passing lanes. It was very Edgar Davids like. You just like suddenly this dude stepped into a lane and you had no idea where he came from, and they were going the other way because he played the simple ball to Precky and they went. I those five dudes with with peak performance, Tony Miola behind them. That's really really hard to top. Let's talk a little bit about Miola. I know Allie mentioned him earlier, and that was something my ten year old asked me when we were watching the game. He said. 
who is better, Tony Miola or Jimmy Nielsen? I said, wow, that's really hard. I said, I think I'd probably say Tony Miola is just a little better. But, I mean, what do you guys think? Is this by far the best goalkeeper in Wizards Sporting KC history? Um, he's obviously a legend, but this is the first time we've had a chance to talk about Tony Miola. You know, where does he rank? It's hard, man. I mean, like, first of all, I always have a very hard time comparing, especially in soccer for whatever reason. Um, when it comes to two, like, you know, players who are maybe not equal, but like pretty darn close. I mean, they've both got MLS Cup titles. I think the one thing that might edge Miola over Nielsen might be that like insane leadership quality. I mean, we talk about him really commanding the defense with Vermees. I, I think, you know, you look at some of the saves he made and just the impact that he's had on the club, but Nielsen's right up there with him, in my opinion. I mean, and I think Tim Mealy is another player who's making his case for down the line if, you know, depending on what, his future continues to look like with sporting could also be in that conversation. So if anything, sporting's done a great job throughout club history of getting some really solid goalkeepers. I think if that's one thing that we've learned, but that's a tough question. I, I don't think I've watched enough. I'd have to watch a lot more of both of them side by side, but I mean, it's close. It's really close. So sporting's the only club in the, sorry, one of two clubs in the league that has had three players win goalkeeper of the year and that's that's miola uh nielsen and melia san jose also had it happen um actually no i lied san jose did only have two players win it uh pat onstad won it twice for them joe cannon also won it uh for san jose um and then in the middle of there you also had kevin hartman in the the oh what is it oh seven oh eight oh nine era is that Mm -hmm. right dave yeah and and hartman is a previous goalkeeper of the year winner um so in terms of all-time goalkeeping in this league, it's really, you know, it's it's really tough to look at anybody but Kansas City in terms of having the best of the best. Um, Jimmy Nielsen still owns the lowest goals against average in the history of MLS, which he's the only goalkeeper in MLS history to have a goals against average below one in his career. Now, you can say he only wow. played four years or whatever or five years in MLS, but that's a pretty damn good stat. Like, that's really, really cool. His defenses were so good. Uh, Tony at his peak. I, I guess to answer your question, Dave, over the course of their MLS career, I think Jimmy Nielsen, uh, to me, is arguably the best goalkeeper in MLS history. It's Jimmy Nielsen and Nick Romando, to me, for yeah. what they've accomplished in MLS. At their peak, who was the better goalkeeper? Tony Miola. Um, Tony in 2000 was incredible lights out level. Um, and, and honestly he was that good for the next year or two or three. And it's kind of, it's incredible to think that the O2 world cup, Tony Mueller was the third goalkeeper on that team behind Brad Friedel and Casey Keller and Friedel's performance during that world cup is legendary. And, um, and it's like, Oh wow. How good were American goalkeepers in the late nineties and, and early two thousands that you're, you're looking at Brad Friedel, Casey Keller and, and, and Tony Miola. And, oh, yeah, you've also got dudes like a very young Tim Howard coming up. Tim Howard, by the way, won MLS Goalkeeper of the Year as an 18-year-old in 2001 and then got sold to Manchester United. So it's like that. what a, what a just an embarrassment of riches for American goalkeepers. But, yeah, to answer the question, Jimmy, career better. Tony had some down years in there later in his career that Jimmy just didn't have. Um, but at their peak, Tony Miola, to me, is still the best at his peak American goalkeeper. One of, you know, it, it's kind of funny, like, you remind me of a lot of, you're, you're reminding me of a lot of the kind of con- controversial topics that happen across every league uh, in every sport in America. And that's, you know, the MJ or LeBron <laughs> or, you know, who, this or that. Who would or be is a better goalkeeper, be, MJ or LeBron? Is that what you're asking? No, I, oh. I'm just saying like the, you know, just like the top, you know, the discussions on whether or not a player if you take them out of one time period and plop yeah. in another, would they be the same? Would they be, you know, in this at the same level or would that player that they're being compared to blow them out of the water? I just think it's like, it's, you almost have to like break it up into time periods for me. Like it's really hard to look at a player in a current day or in a certain time period and then, you know, try and say whether or not, because you can look at the numbers and stuff like that, but then you also have to consider, for, you know, an MLS too, like the level of talent offensively. What yeah. were what were the players, 
who were, you know, shooting on them. Like what was like the level of talent on that side of the ball? So it's just, it's wild. But I mean, again, like as fans of the club, supporting KC, you have pretty good luck in terms of if you've been following the team for, you know, since its inception, you've got to watch some pretty good goalkeepers. At least you didn't have to worry about that. So. Yeah, it's, um, I, I was just looking it up actually. So Chicago that year, like I mentioned, Chicago was the best offensive team in the league that year. They scored 67 goals in 32 games. They could score goals. The, wow. Yeah. Metro stars dropped 64 Tampa, Tampa. That that's a, uh, that's a Tampa Bay mutiny team that would have been Carlos Valderrama, Roy Lasseter, I want to say. Um, Tampa Bay Mutiny dropped 62. I mean, there were a bunch of goals scored in 32-game season that year. Uh, so last year, NYCFC, uh, 34 games, had 63 goals. LAFC had 85. <laughs> That's insane. Still insane. But um, this wasn't like a low-scoring era. The, the low-scoring era of MLS came a couple of years later. This was the end of like the high scoring era of MLS and, um, and Tony Miola only let 20 some odd goals get past him. And like, that's just, he was, I, I, so I've talked to, I've talked to Sasha Victorine about it. I've talked to Diego Gutierrez about it. And so Sasha played in this game, obviously Diego played for Chicago in the 2000 MLS cup final. And Diego, uh, Diego has always said He's never played in a game, at least if I remember, I, I, I may be misquoting him, but I think this is the way he described it. He's never played in a game where he felt more helpless against a goalkeeper than he did in the MLS Cup final against Tony. And that, and, wow. and yeah, and, and, and Sasha said, has said something very similar about like Tony was so unbeatable at times that season that, you know, it's it, he was just goalkeepers at their peak can affect a game the way quarterbacks at their peak can affect a game. And it's so weird. Um, one hundred percent. Yeah, and he was just yeah, so. You, you can make a case that Miola almost single-handedly won that MLS Cup that year, but yeah. then if you wanted to give a shout to another guy, it's Miklos Molnar, oh, right? Man. And we haven't talked about him really yet, and I'd love to talk about him a little bit. He got both the goals in this game. Uh, the first one, a penalty kick that Kevin Hartman guessed right on, but couldn't stop. The second one in the mini game. So you want to talk about a scoring rate? I was just looking it up. So Molnar. One year in MLS yep. with the Wizards in 2000, 17 appearances, 12 goals. <laughs> and it makes you wonder. That was the regular season, right? Well, yeah. And it makes you wonder, like, man, what, like, why didn't he have more time in MLS? What would he have been with four or five years in the league as opposed to just one year? And you probably know more about that than me, Chad, in oh, terms I gotta... of why it wasn't one and done. But what, what a player. And uh, they wouldn't have won the title without him either that year. No, I got a story about that. That's, it's, it's, one of my best friends who who was giant wizards fan the same way I was at that year um he it's like his favorite thing anytime Miklos Molnar comes up he goes the guy said I'm gonna come to MLS I'm gonna lead the wizards to a, an MLS cup and then I'm gonna retire and run triathlons and he came to MLS he led the wizards to MLS cup and then he retired and ran triathlons and Ironman and 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 you know like it, it's I mean yeah, the, he so he only played 17 games that year because he was off at the the 2000 Euros. He was playing for for Denmark in the Euros, but like this is a dude who had scored goals everywhere in his career. People forget that he'd been at Sevilla before this. I mean, he he scored mm-hmm. you know what 20 goals or something like that in La Liga. He'd been all over all over kind of the rest of. He'd played at Standard Liège in Belgium. He'd played at Saint Etienne in France. He'd played at Frankfurt. He'd been all over Europe and he'd scored goals everywhere. And then he came. He came to the Wizards, and he dropped twelve and seventeen games in the regular season, and he scored five in seven matches in the playoffs. And um, yeah, he he just he literally said, you know what? I've I've played in the World Cup. I've played in the uh, the um, I've played in the Euros. What else is there to do? I want to I want to go and retire and and run triathlons. And and man, he was. I'm telling you, you can see from the way they feed him in this match. Every time he got the ball, they thought there was a chance he was going to find the tiniest little sliver to score. And he did. Can we talk about, though, that goal in the mini game? Because, like, you know, PKs, okay, it's kind of a methodical thing. Every player's got, you know, every PK shooter has their kind of method, their approach. And usually if they're pretty good, they practice a lot, they've got a down pat, they're going to put the ball in the net. But his goal in the mini game, I loved because – 
a lot of players would just kind of slot that one in on the ground. I, for a moment there, kind of froze because he hit that one like, maybe not like top net, but it was pretty oh, high know, up. Like right? for a second, it looked like it could almost have gone over. Again, the way that the that play broke down, he was around the keeper. The keeper was totally out of the net. All he had to do was just place it on the ground and slot it in the net or, you know, in the goal. And, you know, he gets some air on it. And I was like, whoa. He, I mean, that's, again, a true finisher can put the ball away no matter what. But that was like kind of a freeze moment for someone who hadn't watched the game in its entirety. But in true finisher fashion, if you watch that clip again, he knows it's in the moment it leaves his foot. Like he's right. he's not that's worried true. it's going high, too. It's such a yeah, it's um he look, look, the book on Kevin Hartman. Dave can remember this. Probably the book on Kevin Hartman was you can beat him near post. He 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 was for whatever reason, it was it was a small hole in his game. He was a very, very good goalkeeper, but he got beat near post quite a bit. And um and like him just knowing Hartman's gonna come out, I'm gonna round him, I'm gonna just, you know, slot him essentially. And uh yeah, it's a it's a goal scorer, it's a finisher's goal, it's it's a it's two hardworking dudes working really hard to score that goal in in uh in Mo and and Miklos and um Man, Miklos was so fun to watch. He didn't score spectacular goals often, but he just he, he honestly very very similar to what we've seen from from Alan Polito so far. Polito's got the the spectacular in his game, but just that that I think a little bit about that goal that that Polito scored in the home opener against Houston, where he's falling, he's running away from goal, and he just turns and hits it, and it just you know, slow roller almost into the corner, but perfectly into the corner. Miklos had in what, what did I say? 12 goals, five goals, 17 goals in, in 24 games. It was 17 and 24. Yeah. Yeah. So what eight of those goals were like that where they were just like, Oh, that's just such a clean finish. Yeah. It's definitely. And I think Polito is a great comparison again in two different time periods of the league, but just if there's one common denominator between like just clinical finishers and true goal scorers, it's the ability to put the ball in net in a way that looks easy. It looks flawless. And it's just, it's, it almost seems so second nature to them. It's almost like when it's happening in the moment, well, how else could it go anywhere, but in the goal. And that's well, like exactly what some of his finishes were like. When Molnar's touch to get around Hartman, he made it look so easy right. and really so easy. it was like a baby hesitation and Hartman just sprinted out and he mm-hmm. got around him so easy. I mean, it was like I was playing goalkeeper, which is not a compliment. <laughs> well, so <laughs> actual one of one of my other favorite fun facts about that goal is that um so so Molnar played in one World Cup match for Denmark in 98 and he was sent off after 8 minutes. He subbed in and was sent off after oh. 8 minutes. And so that that was um Mo Johnston famously kicked off the Scottish World Cup team like two weeks before the World Cup. Um, and so it's like that goal was scored by two guys who Mo, Mo got his chance. He got back into the World Cup four years later. But it's like famously that goal happened with two guys who had their own kind of like their World Cup dreams dashed by, you know, their own kind of thing. And um, and and yeah, so it's just kind of cool that you've got a little bit of a bad boy thing and a little bit, again, of a hard ass thing with both of those dudes. And it, it came together in perfect fashion on that goal. Yeah, it kind of sounds like you, Chad. You know, yeah, bad, bad boy, ass, bad boy. Well, bad boy, hard ass. You yeah. know, when I got kicked off the 1980 Scotland World Cup team, or the 1982 Scotland World mm-hmm. Cup team, it was, yeah, it was uh, it was rough. It was, you know, Alex Ferguson was a teetotaler. I was drinking and partying too much. It happens. It happens. Hey, can we, can we all agree that golden goal is the greatest thing ever, <laughs> and this should be an automatic thing for yes. soccer? And I don't know like how it hasn't been more consistent across just like all of soccer. And I'm talking every level. The fact that like you play in so- like whether you played the game or just watch the game as a fan. And I mean, like I know as a former player, the number of different games like where you have outcomes where, OK, no, OK, this is golden goal. OK, this is shootout. OK, this is overtime. OK, this is this. OK, but overtime is going to go the entirety of the time slotted. If you score, great, but you have to then defend. It's like, can we just come up with a system? Golden goal to <laughs> me is the most exciting. I think you get the most out of the players on the field, because when you know all you got to do is put the ball in the back of the net, that is a level of motivation that I don't think you need to it just adds like an element to the game 
to me, it's like hockey and, it, exactly. and for extra it works time, in hockey. taking it, you take, you know, only three V three. It just forces that. Okay. You're either going to be really tired or all you got to do. You just got to put the puck in. I, I'll, I'll give you my best argument for it. Actually. Video games. When was the last time you played overtime in a video game and didn't play golden goal? Like, I mean, it's not, if you're playing FIFA against a buddy or whatever, you're playing golden goal. If it's tied, you're not going to go play the full extra time. It's just, it's not, it's not as much fun. It's not as much fun for you playing it. It's not, not as much fun for people watching it. No, I, I'm an advocate for golden goal. Um, I don't think it'll ever come back. I, I just have, that feels like something that FIFA or, or IFA or whatever has decided. Like we're but, so stuffy. We're not going to do it anymore. But here's the thing too. To me, golden goal is more fair than doing a shootout because the biggest oh, complaint man. people have with shootouts is like what, Everyone's always like, what a terrible way to end a game. If you don't win, it's a terrible way to end a game. Basketball, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But like when you have gold and gold, both teams have an equal opportunity to resume play and go about the game in a a more natural way. And all you got to do is score. That's it. And and in a game, in a game that scoring is such a premium, it just makes perfect sense. It's, it's exactly. So I think we'll probably get to it at some point, but we fun wizards fact this club was the the scored the last official FIFA sanctioned golden goal in the history of of, of the sport um, <laughs> in the 2004 U.S. Open Cup because the FIFA had changed the law, but the Open Cup had already started and they couldn't change the rule. So Igor Simatinkov's Open Cup winning goal in 2004 is the uh, the last ever FIFA golden goal to this point. So we'll always have that at least. So Chad, isn't it isn't it correct that MLS will pretty much follow whatever FIFA's direction is, and it's not likely that MLS would just go out go rogue and say, "Okay, we're doing Golden Goal in the playoffs," for example. I can't imagine. Yeah, I think you're right. I, th- I mean, I think well, I don't know, man. When it comes to FIFA and and sanctioning and rules and all of that, some of it. So what's weird is it actually doesn't come from FIFA. It comes from a group called IFAB, which is this old group of British dudes. Um. And that's actually the best way I can describe it. Sounds like it. they should be in charge of all of soccer. That yeah, makes right, sense. Right. Um, uh, do you guys do you guys remember the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I do. I, yeah. I oh, Allie's shaking her head. No. Yeah. Um. I uh, <laughs> I've always I've always kind of thought of 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 IFAB as like the old British dudes who are like just kind of crotchety and they're gonna they're gonna marry off their young girls or whatever the girls that Bill and Ted fall in love with like that's what I picture in my head is just like these old British dudes getting together and like writing rules and 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 drinking tea um no they um IFAB sets the rules FIFA generally adopts them right away but then there's then there's like they test things out and I think it's more likely that MLS to your point Dave is the guinea pig MLS is always volunteering to be the guinea pig they they were the first to say we'll do VAR We'll test it out. We'll do whatever, you know. So I think it's more likely that if it comes to Golden Goal or something like that, that's where it comes. Is is FIFA? See if you can get this in the pipeline, Chad. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, make, I, I'll, I'll call those old British guys. I know. Um, no, yeah, I I think I'm 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 probably gonna get emails and text messages or whatever. No, I I think IFABs uh, comes it comes from England still. Um, but yeah, it's I I agree. It would be more fun, and I I think I think. You still see it in, I think, high school soccer, at least in Kansas and Missouri, is still golden goal. Um, college soccer, I believe, is still golden goal. But technically, none of those are FIFA, you know, sanctioned uh, competitions or whatever. So I think it's more fun. Yeah. That's when I remember playing, like, golden goal scenarios. But it was only, like, in, you know, like, playoffs. It wasn't yeah. usually, at least if I remember, yeah, you would have ties and stuff in the regular season. Oh, I, I, guys, I no, was wrong. IFAB I is remember. old Swiss guys. They're not from England. They're Swiss, but uh, in oh, my they're head, neutral then. Yeah, very neutral. Well, hang <laughs> on, hang on though. It they came, they started in the UK, um, and then uh, and then have apparently moved to Zurich. So, I thought you were going to get into that whole thing of like Britain, United Kingdom, actually British Isles. This is Great funny. Britain. No, this is. I I never understand it all. You're not far off. IFAB is made up of representatives from each of the UK's pioneering football associations: the FA Uh, in England, the Scottish FA, the Football Association of Wales, Northern Ireland's Football Association, and FIFA. So four out of the five dudes are are old British guys. Let's just call it what it is. 
All right, I'm going to have to apologize because I forgot my computer charger. I have four minutes left um, <laughs> before my computer dies. So is there anything we haven't hit on yet from tonight that you guys want to talk about as we start to wrap up? Um, the one thing that I wanted to kind of say, and it's been a sad week in the Sporting Kansas City world as we lost a very passionate, involved, and beloved fan in Barb Goebel. So uh, just paying my respects. I never got to meet her personally, but hearing and reading all of the just testaments from players, staff members, I mean, everyone who's come in contact with this mm-hmm. woman, uh, such a tragedy and a huge loss. But um, I hope that her family finds peace in knowing how loved uh, she was. Yeah, so. I, I would I would echo that. I I also didn't know Barb well. I'd, better, I, I'd, I'd had the privilege of meeting her on a handful of occasions and, and we crossed paths a ton. Um, I got a call about it. I want to say it was Monday, and uh, um, from from a good friend in the cauldron, and he was kind of like, you know, this is I think this is going to be really bad, and it, and it sounds like it's it's really rough, and just want to give you a heads up. And it was like it was it was a gut punch because I know how important she was to so many people. And again, I didn't I'd interacted with her on you know a dozen occasions, but not you know I, I, we, we weren't friends but we were absolutely friendly because she was friendly with everybody. And every time I saw her, she was smiling. She was happy. She loved this club. She loved the cauldron and the community and everything around this club. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's been a really, really sad week because you've seen the outpouring of, of, of condolences and and support. And Barb, um, Barb, Barb was loved by everybody who knew her. I've not seen anybody say, um, say an unkind word of her about her ever let alone now. And so, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough time. And, um, you know, I, I think there's some things in the works to kind of honor her properly, hopefully. Um, and, um, and you know, the, the, the pictures of the scarf and the flowers in, in, in the cauldron, in her seat, in her spot, in the cauldron were really special to me and really important because this club is, if nothing else, it's a community. And, um, that was, yeah, that was, that was a rough one. And, um, she's going to absolutely be missed. Yeah, that's very well said. And I, I did not know her well either, but just you see the outpouring of love and you could tell she was someone that made an impact on a lot of people, uh, someone who loved the team and certainly loved all the fans in the cauldron. So she'll definitely be missed. And Somebody asked me, they said, were you friends with her? And I said, well, no, but I knew her. And and and, and then I looked her up on Facebook and, and we had 119 mutual friends, which should tell you something. Um, oh, wow. And every single one of them was a sporting or soccer or whatever person. And, and that that's cool. You know, I mean, like that's, the, the, the community again around this club and and she was to so many people the point person on that community and i mean i even saw former players mm-hmm. their families from this you know of sporting kansas city players who don't play here anymore and haven't yep. for years writing on her wall like it's just on facebook just kind of showing their support and their love like josh weisenhunt reaching out from, from new york city josh weisenhunt former mls employee former sporting employee was the first was her first ticket rep at the wizards when in wow. 99 or whatever and he had he or 2009 he had a fantastic story yeah it, it was it's a tough one and and you know i i don't i don't think i i think there's a little bit of an opportunity to kind of dedicate whatever this season ends up being in a little bit of a way to to barb in her memory because um she she was she was loved. She died in a she she died in a bike accident, which is one of the other things she's really loved. She mm-hmm. loved bike, biking, and it in in kind of it's heartbreaking, but it's also in a weird way lifting. One of her last posts on Facebook is her riding her bike wearing a sporting jersey, and that's really really cool because those are two things that she absolutely loved, and um, and you know it it was it she was a special special person, and and she was special to this club, so. That's well said. Well, I guess um, I guess we'll wrap it up for this week. Chad, do you want to tease, you know, the possible classics for next week? Is it still TBD? Are we looking at a fan vote of some other uh, classic former games, or what's in store next? We are we are absolutely looking at a fan vote, and I meant to pull this up earlier. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong now. Uh, it is the here we go. It is the 1998 Wizards versus the 1998 New England Revolution is option number one. The 1998 Wizards versus the 1998, I guess it'd be the same year, San Jose Earthquakes, option number two. The 2010 Kansas City Wizards versus the 2010 Manchester United Summer Traveling Ah. Squad, 
So the Manchester United game on the table, which would be pretty cool. And I'm going to get I'm gonna the other one. I'm going to vote that one. Dave, Dave I'm going to vote that one no matter what you say for number four. It's a 2004 match between the Wizards and San Jose um, is the the other one. And they're all fantastic Ooh. games, and they're all fantastic in their own way. Do you know the game I'm talking about? Um, they're all fantastic games in their own way. I'm also going to vote the Man U game. Um, I kind of, Dave, I thought I had an idea. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll ping you about it offline, but maybe maybe we see if we can get a special guest, somebody who, who may have taken part part in that match uh to maybe join us Ooh, uh, can we get someone who got a red card in that potentially match i wonder it? i wonder if we can make a call and see if uh see if we know anybody who got a red card in that match and might be willing to join us for a little bit or that maybe just film an cool. interview or something like that for for the final whistle i have not reached out to him yet but might be a fun one so that that would be a really cool one if that's what it ends up being uh you know same time next week so fingers cool. crossed yeah <laughs> Well, thanks for your time, my friends. It's been nice uh, doing this and getting a little bit of sense of normalcy in these weird times. So uh, look forward to doing it again next week. Yep, absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, later, everybody. You've been watching the final whistle here on lots of places, SportingKC.com, <laughs> Sports Radio 810 Facebook page, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for tuning in. For Allie and Chad, I'm Dave saying so long. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys.